0: Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with me, Dr. Aparajita Jiragunta. And I'm so excited to speak to today's guest because she's a woman and she is an analsi alum. And I'm so inspired by everything that she does. So without you know any further ado, I'm going to reveal who my mystery speaker today is. And she is Lelia Gowland from New Orleans. Lelia is the founder, and CEO of Lelia Gowland, LLC. She started her company because women kept coming to her for support in career decision-making. Now, a sought-after speaker and writer on workplace dynamics for women, Lilia has regular columns with both Forbes and NBC News. She has been profiled in Cosmopolitan and Marie Claire for her unique approach, and she is about to publish a book that we're gonna be talking about towards the end of the episode, which I'm so excited about as <laughs> a <too>. New Orleans.
1: <laughs> Hi, Lelia. I just jumped in. Sorry, I got too excited. Please <laughs> proceed as <needed. laughs>
0: The last part is that as a New Orleans native and enthusiast, Lilia freely uses the word y'all and dedicates an entire closet to costuming. And I feel like you're my mentor in that. You know, I just found this out. I use y'all so much and I'm all about costuming. So. Oh,
1: mate. Well, we didn't know we that connection. I
0: know. So welcome, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you.
1: What a pleasure for me as well. Thank you for having me.
0: Anytime, anytime you want, you want to come in and talk to me, please, I'll make it happen. But for that very first episode with, you know, featuring you and shining the spotlight on you, my first question for you is how did all of this beautiful growth and development happen in terms of like where you are professionally? where did you start and how did you get to where you are now?
1: Oh okay I won't start with (laughs) childhood. I'll fast forward a bit. I remember thinking about my professional life as something that I had a real responsibility to make an impact and I kept looking sort of in earnest and perhaps a little desperately for what my purpose was and what I was supposed to do. And I remember being in graduate school and and looking at city government work as a real means of impacting change and getting to see the fruits of your labor and impacting your local community. And so I ran a political campaign for city council. I worked for city hall, helping oversee the city's juvenile detention center, which at the time was under federal consent decree. And then after the campaign, I really teased that I was a Jacqueline of all trades and people who knew my skill set would come to me for any myriad number of things. Everything from teaching sex education to middle schoolers to juvenile justice fundraising to strategic planning and marketing strategy for a regional environmental nonprofit. So I tease like the Jacqueline of all trades really uh, was my brand unofficially. So what what really was the catalyst for me was a conversation with a friend from grad school who reached out and said, I just got an amazing job offer, but it's a lateral move for my current role. I want to advance professionally. I'm two years out of grad school. Uh, What should I do? And over the course of the day, we spent about three hours on the phone going through her first offer and then the second offer. And ultimately, she accepted the employer's third offer. And what really centered that conversation inspired such reflection in me because she was able to come in at the top of the pay band. She had a clear opportunity for advancement with metrics for success and and opportunities for promotion, etc. And she's actually, as far as I know, still with that organization about six years later. Wow. So it really was her dream nonprofit. And she she knew that she wanted to advance. And so she had this opportunity to advocate for herself and really saw a lot of success within the role and within the organization. So I got off the phone and I I told my partner at the time, I said, my God, that was so much fun. I wish I could do that as my job. And um, I guess I'll go back to work now. (laughs) I had had no understanding of what that would look like. And I I kind of said it fleetingly. And then a few years later, maybe a year and a half later, I was a cohort member in the New Leaders Council here in Louisiana, and. That first weekend, which we now call the lead training, Mm. fundamentally changed my approach to my work because I realized that that month, five people had come to me for some sort of career decision making or negotiation support. Uh, And that's what prompted me to start my business as it stands now, which centers on working with women who want to increase their impact and have a more profitable and fulfilling career.
0: Wow. I have goosebumps here. (laughs) Just so you know, know how much the story resonated with me, especially, yeah, lead training weekend, your lead weekend. Lead is why, lead and NLC are why this podcast is even happening mm. and why we're having this conversation, you know, because you're so right. It fundamentally changed how I thought about myself, how I thought about the idea of success and, you know, everything I thought about what it took mm. to manifest it. It's, it's
1: interesting to hear you say that I was talking with a prospective client who is an abortion doer earlier today. And what she said was, or we were talking about what success would look like. And I said, what you're doing is so important. And I'm I'm really fired up about it. And I wish you success. And I want to clarify my meaning there is that you're able to do this work enjoyably, sustainably, and profitably. And I think so often in service and, and helping professions or in just the progressive movement at large, there's an expectation that you're doing it because you care about the cause and you're doing it through altruism. And there's no, it, it's, unconscionable to try and and make money and support yourself. Um, And so I really, when you talk about what does success Mm mean to me, and that's what I heard you asking in the context of the lead weekend, it really did help me define it and when I wish (laughs) success for others, speaking that into existence and really naming that I want people, particularly in helping professions and in service and in progressive spaces to to know that making money is an okay thing to do.
0: Oh my gosh, absolutely. So I do these daily videos on Instagram, just giving out some tips or sharing a little bit about what worked for me or what didn't, you know, what didn't in the past or in the present or what my plans for the future are, you know, just sort of five to six, five (laughs) to, well, five to nine minutes of me just rambling. Uh, and yesterday, I was supposed to do a uh, do a video on exactly that on how people expect progressives and people in the service industry to, I don't know, bend over backwards and do things for free. And it's like, hey, they have bills to pay too,
1: right? Like your enthusiasm does not pay my mortgage. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting for me to hear you say say that in the context of this prospective client, because it's really reaffirming that you know it's not just in my space or my perspective or my life that these are things that women everywhere are grappling with and that really does point to a larger issue that's happening just overall in the societal context i
1: Yes, I would add to that. There's, I think there's some interesting questions about how gender influences this. And what I would offer is certainly for women, I think there are additional complexities. And when I say women, I want to clarify that this is really folks who identify as female, um, whatever that means yes. to them. And I would add to that that people of all genders who are in progressive spaces or in helping professions that I, that I know personally and, and that I've worked with have really struggled with this expectation of martyrdom in, in the movie. And, you know, I, th- I think the, the funniest example is when people ask me to speak about women advocating for their self-worth and, and aren't going to pay me. <laughs> the irony is not lost on me when you're asking me to speak on women and self-advocacy and, and negotiating your worth and you are not offering any compensation. Oh,
0: my Lord. I have, I have so many stories to tell you about that particular mm-hmm. thing. I feel like, you know, I feel like we need to have that conversation offline because that would be a whole episode in itself because I'm a part of the indie writing, the indie creative community mm. on social media, especially on Instagram. And there's several of us. And if I had a dollar for every person who identifies as non-white male, come to me and say, yeah, I got expected to do this for free. I, I, I could have retired yesterday. Mm. You know, and there's definitely something to be said about that.
1: I would add that there are times when it absolutely makes sense for me to work for free. And I've developed some criteria that really help me identify situations in which my gosh, this is this is a mutually beneficial situation and I'm happy and enthusiastic, yes. And, you know, if you are putting me in front of a group of professional women who are really engaged in career fulfillment, are ready to invest their resources in their personal development and are likely, you know, are able to or interested in flying to New Orleans or, you know, live here already and meet some of my other criteria for the retreats that I host on career fulfillment, then yeah, maybe it would be a a fit for me to come and and do a short presentation. Or if you work with a key population that I'm really committed to serving, right, I do a, I absolutely take on pro bono clients and projects, and they they meet certain criteria, mostly in South Louisiana. So it's an interesting dimension to it as well to say, okay, it's not that I never work for free, it's that I want to be really intentional about how pro bono work fits into my business model.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, you, you hit on a very, very important point there, and that that being that intentional and being that targeted about the criteria of everything that needs to be met in order for you to do your pro bono work actually adds to the value of it. It doesn't devalue it at all. Whereas if you hadn't had that criteria, that's when in, I feel like in mm-hmm. public perception, your work might get devalued because you're doing everything for free. What do you think about that?
1: I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I would add that in my experience, saying yes to everything, frankly, results in me becoming resentful. And and I feel stretched too thin. And I I feel like my time isn't being valued and I recognize that that I'm not delivering my best value. And so being committed in and standing in my own power and strength and self-awareness to say that's really not a fit for me. Here are some resources that might be helpful. Or have you talked to so and so I know she's promoting something new. She might be a better fit.
0: Absolutely. There's so many different small, small little points about diversity and inclusion and you know, woody and gender and all of these points that you've brought up. But before we move on to that, how did the NLC Institute experience and being an NLC alum shape you moving forward after it.
1: Oh my goodness. Hey, Jake, That is a question that fills me with delight. Can you hear my face? I am smiling so big. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, okay. So, January of 2015, we have the Life Entrepreneurs Training, and which we now call the Lead Training. And Ryan James Evans comes into the room and says, "This is a room of pre-screened friends. This is a room of people who are going to be invested in you and support you. And this is a powerful room." At the time, I, I honestly don't remember what I was thinking, but by the end of the weekend. I I was blown away. So I I still have the notebook that I wrote in. C.G. Tatum talked about, or now C.G. Townsend, she's since got married and changed her name, but she talked about, she wants to be balanced, not busy. And I'm like, I get chills just saying that. And I remember writing it down in my journal and it's on the first page of the journal that I brought with me. And now it's, it's, she has this lifestyle brand and her own podcast, which I was on recently centering the balanced, not busy brand and lifestyle. And I remember where I was sitting and, and Josh Cox was to my right. And I remember how it felt in the room when I said, wait a second, that conversation that I had with a friend a year and a half ago, the conversations I'm having with people this month about negotiation and what it's like for women who are in the workplace, there's something there. And from there, I started what I called at the time confidence and confidants is six hour retreats, like half day retreats centered on negotiation. And initially I called them dress rehearsals. And then I realized that a more professional version was beta testing. So I had my NLC family come and sit in my living room. I made red beans. And and I workshopped the content, had a few additional friends come and really built out what what ended up being the very, very twinkle in my eye of what my business model is now in the book that we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall
1: for that. It's a powerful group of humans. Oh, can I tell you one more? Yes. Okay. So Kat Polavoda had, she blew my mind. So this is 2015. I've never heard of the expression body positivity and reclaiming the word fat and her embodiment and just like savviness and energy and like power was so inspiring to So at the time she had something called Cat's Closet, which was a online resale store for plus size clothes. And she has since opened a brick and mortar in Minneapolis. She is incredible. She is hosting these like pool days for women who identify as fat and she has her own podcast and she is just thriving professionally. And it is incredible to see and to feel like I have gotten to bear witness to her process, right? She was doing these one-on-one styling sessions. And I gave one to a friend who came back and said, I, I feel differently in my clothes as a result of working with Kat. I feel different in my body. And so it's really broadening the lens of what progressivism and social justice looks like. And for me, it feels just deeply moving and so powerful to have people who are, my, my hands are open toward the sky. I don't know how, so, so expansive. That's the language that I'll use so expansive, and that's one of the things that I value most about NLC.
0: Absolutely, I have to. I mean, if it's actually possible to, to agree more than like a thousand gazillion percent, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have just made up a new number, but that's okay. But you know, because infinity already exists, so I didn't make up a new number. But no, it was <laughs> that was that was my experience too. So when I was at national convention this year, and I had people come up to me and say that this is the first time they ever heard a traumatic brain injury survivor talk about invisible disabilities Mm. and even introduce them to the word invisible disabilities or the phrase Mm -hmm. because for me it was very interesting because I you know I love my NLC Detroit family but at the same time I was still also trying to find my place in just life Mm. You know, with a capital L, and so it was that really interesting dynamic of okay, y'all already know what you're doing. Mm. I'm still trying to figure it out. (laughs) So where do I fit in here? You know, and then and then I found out I got one of the spots at convention, and I was like, and when you say spot, can we clarify that you mean a spark talk, one of the five minute? Do you want to give a little context to
1: what the spark talks were?
0: Oh yeah, a spark talk spot, uh, which was I think one of fourteen. A spark talk is like a TED talk if you have 5 minutes and you have 20 slides and they automatically advance about every 15 seconds and you have to make your point about that particular image or slide yes. in that time and so that gives you anywhere between 28 to 38 words as i found out depending on your speed pitch cadence all of it as i found out the hard way <laughs> yes
1: yes yeah. well and and i just want to honor my understanding is that it's based on Pecha Kucha, which was devised in. Tokyo mm-hmm. so just kind of giving homage to the origin my understanding is that model of, of five minutes with the slides that move uh, the spark talk is a, a sister uh, to the Petra Kucha. yes
0: and in so many ways I felt like but you know maybe it's because I, I haven't actually experienced the Petracucha style but I have experienced sort of the TEDx and Ted style just in terms of me practicing for it and everything in hopes that someday I'm gonna be on that stage and the spark talk is is a whole different different beast, even from that. And so when all of this happened, I I mean, my initial thought was, okay, who's playing a prank on me? Mm. You know, because they did tell us that it was like, you know, they actually told us it was 10 spots. And they told us that there were people applying from all over the country in that initial call. And I have no idea what compelled me to do it. But being in at national and having and and getting to connect with these people from all over the country who thought Thought very similar to me, but in their own spaces. It was one of the most eye opening, powerful pre screened friends experiences of my mm-hmm. life because people were throwing around this word, you know, this phrase pre screened friends. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I went there and I was like, oh, wow. I'd have never, ever imagined this happening to me in my life. And so, yeah, it, it really changed my life so much. So everything you said about the NLC experience, just in terms of seeing these other people in that space and watching them thrive and watching them own their voice and own their personal space and own their community spaces. It's incredibly energizing, but I went off on a little tangent there. (laughs) We are going to take a very short break. And when we come back, I do want to talk about diversity and inclusion and sort of what your journey has been and what you've learned about it and all of that so we'll be right back And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. And my guest today is Lelia Gowland, founder and CEO of Lelia Gowland LLC. And she is a magician in terms of everything that she does. So Lelia, one of the things I wanted to touch on is uh, something that you told me in, 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 you know, in the form that I asked you to fill out about how a woman of color in her thirties told you, I, th- I didn't think spaces like this were for me and that's where I want to start this segment.
1: Yeah. So I host retreats that are called career fulfillment retreats. And it's an immersive weekend that brings together about a dozen women who really are invested in making a change in their career. And it's actually inspired by NLC language. So we used to say, if you have a significant drive, you know That you want to make a change, you're ready to affect change, but your direction is uncertain. You don't know what you want to do yet or which direction to move. If those are the two variables, drive and direction, you're in seeker mode. And that's really my ideal client is somebody who's ready to take action, but not quite sure what it looks like. And to make decisions in community with other women, do that self-reflection, make decisions and then commit to taking action. It's a pretty powerful experience. And I remember having a conversation with a client who, like I said, identifies as a woman of color in her 30s. And I mean, i am it's what she's I'm not usually at a loss for words. So she said in our, in our initial conversation, she said, I just didn't think that spaces like this were for me. And what she said at the time was, you know, I thought it was for like CEOs and people who a really high level and what I you know I remember at the beginning of that retreat I I got misty and I as I was doing shared values at the beginning where we talk about how we want to create this space together and, and really co-create it one of the values that I put up there was this is for you and I remember being <laughs> it was a very emotional moment for us because I said you know I I built this for you and and I get to choose and you get to choose this is for you and I feel Deeply passionate and almost just, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say angry, but just so I feel it in my bones that this is for you. And it was, it was there was this funny moment where we were all kind of misty and, and really feeling into the power in the room. And then I said, okay, so how do we want to engage with technology? <laughs> we laughed. It really, um... The, the gravity of it, we were sitting in for a moment and it was really, really special. And then I you know, transitioned us a little more lightly to, a, to another question.
0: That takes a lot of skill. I have to admit to be able to go from such a heavy emotional moment. And I don't mean heavy in a, in a bad way. I just mean heavy in terms of the gravity of it.
1: Oh my goodness. So the moment that I think I needed to channel that energy most was I was giving a speech in Aspen to uh, attorneys who are in mass torts. So these are 200 women who are incredibly powerful, top of their field in a male dominated industry in the specialization that's exceedingly male dominated. They spend several days together in Aspen. And um, I was It was the first debate in the 2016 election and we'd watched Hillary Clinton and And the next day, and I knew this might happen, but I get a text that says, do you mind, and Hillary Clinton was going to call in to express appreciation for the amount of money they had raised the night before. And so my speech was interrupted by Hillary Clinton. And I remember this moment so vividly because I remember first I got the text that day that said, hey, is it okay if HRC interrupts your speech? And I was like, yes, most definitely (laughs) Totally fine. Haima Moore, who was in my NLC class, was actually on the road with Hillary and, and you know, with her every day. And, and in close proximity, there's some great pictures of uh, his proximity when she's on stage. And so I'm cracking up and then, yes, of course. And to take, so I start my speech, which I think it was like a very quick keynote. So it was like maybe 20, 30 minutes total. And I start my speech, not knowing when they're going to interrupt me. They have her call in and, you know, they engage with her as a room. And then they hand me back the microphone. After At the time, everyone in the room believed was going to be our first female president and i had to bring the room back to talking about negotiation or whatever we're talking about i just spoke very quietly and very slowly and really like that was incredible let's come back together and i remember the feedback i got of that speech was, was some of my favorite because it's very uh, i got i got some good feedback about managing that energy that was pretty powerful
0: i don't think i will ever interview somebody anybody who can say they got interrupted by hillary clinton <laughs> (laughs) it's a pretty good two truths and a lie yeah I I, you know what I am going to have to use that but what an incredible story not just for the Hillary Clinton aspect of it but just for how you brought the energy back and how you sort of reclaimed the room and what you do in terms of like diversity and inclusion and I know you've talked about this uh in the previous segment in terms of like gender equity and it's anyone that knows you even remotely like I do and by remotely, I mean, geographically, you are, you are such an inclusive person. And so for me, it was very interesting when you when I asked in the forum, where you saw the sort of gaps and mismatches in diversity and inclusion, and you said, whether it's just a trend or what the follow through is going to be. And I'm so curious about what you mean by that.
1: DEI, DEI, whatever we want to call it, diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity and inclusion, It, it feels very trendy right now, frankly. And when there's a sort of fervor or a sort of cultural zeitgeist around something, I think it can often dilute the substance of it. And I think there's some wonderful things that can happen from a sudden awareness and commitment to um, or alleged commitment to these values. And you know what it, you know what it makes me think of? So I was just attending a conference that was a game changer for me, but it was called, uh, or and, it was called Women and Money, Making Money Moves That Matter. And I'm currently working on an article about gendered lens Investing, and what that looks like is if I have okay, so I'm gonna use my my real money as an example. I okay. invest as philanthropically in abortion advocacy, in local government, in you know in, in government politics, and for progressive causes for you know a women and children's shelter, right? Like I'm in, I'm investing in the issues that I believe in with my time and with my resources, and then I have a mutual fund for my retirement, right? I've got a Roth IRA, I've got a mutual fund, and these are just the the random mutual funds that I have. And I have no idea as a, you know, I, I think I'd like to think of myself as a fairly savvy consumer. I had no idea what, what what's in those investment accounts. And frankly, I had a really powerful conversation with someone who said, her name is Fong Long, she's a uh, certified financial planner. And she said, the financial services industry is designed to keep it complicated, to keep it hard for you to understand and to prevent you from being able to dig into it, right? to To necessitate your reliance on them to manage your money. And when I think about the DEI space, one of the things that is so common that I I really learned more about in this uh, Women in Money, Making Money, Moves That Matter (laughs) event was about greenwashing and pinkwashing and all of the ways that the financial services industry, for example, is seeing diversity, equity, and inclusion as a trendy thing that their consumers want. And so they say, oh, we've got a women's fund. And what that could mean is that they've got a fund that, you know, had some baseline criteria, but doesn't actually invest in a very example is how often like a progressive fund or a green fund will have Exxon in it because their CSR, their corporate social responsibility scores are high. And you can debate better, you know, if you want to be an activist investor, maybe it does make sense for you to carry Exxon stock. But I think for a lot of progressives, that's a really problematic position to take. And, And the language that I felt was so powerful was your dollars are working against each other. And that was so deeply resonant for me, because if I'm investing in juvenile justice on a nonprofit side and with my time, but I'm making money in my retirement account from for-profit prisons, that's completely out of alignment. And when I think about the future of diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's supporting people like myself who, you know, I don't consider myself extremely affluent. And I have money in the stock market and and investment accounts. And what I get really fired up about is like, well, how do I better understand what DEI looks like in all facets of my life and take that responsibility for companies and organizations? it's, It's very trendy right now, and I think it can be challenging as a consumer to recognize
0: recognize who's doing the work in a just and ethical way that actually aligns with my values. Absolutely. I don't think I could have articulated that better if I tried. (laughs) And I have been trying because that's my job. (laughs) So I completely agree with you. And you know, in that and this is something I talked about in my spark talk too. but this is also something I talk about, you know, in my blog posts and my articles that get published. And I even got borderline threats that I called people out on this in the past about how it's turned into just checking off bodybuilding. Boxes. it's not even an afterthought because as long as you check off the box you just you don't even need to have that afterthought mm-hmm. you know, about whether you're actually doing something to promote inclusion or whether you're, act- you're just amalgamating like a bunch of numbers that make you look good on paper.
1: Yeah and get you a higher CSR score. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah I completely agree that it has been very trendy in that everything is so beautiful on paper but not in real life.
1: Well, and one of the things that really excites me, like deep, deep excitement, is someone like Fong Long. So she was recommended to me. So I'm I'm at this conference and I'm covering it with a press pass for Forbes. And I'm, I'm certainly writing lots, lots of notes and I'm planning to write the article, but I'm also conscious that I really want to hire a financial planner who can support me in making more um, ethical and, and values-aligned investments. And Fong was recommended to me by two separate people who I befriended and really trusted. Her approach is... is is the one that I referenced earlier, that it really centers on making this less complicated, helping people feel more autonomous and organized with their money and aligned with their values. And so when I think about what can can feel like an intractable problem, right? How do we navigate the world as consumers when there is so much greenwashing, pinkwashing, when people are professing this racial justice lens, but in practice, their policies are garbage and their their behaviors are garbage? People like Fong can help us consumers in in the financial services space make different decisions and, and, And her model is, uh, at least currently, it's $600 for the first two-hour session. Hmm. And then after that, it's a fee-based model that that is much more accessible to people rather than a percentage, which is um, often the practice. And so, yes, I agree that it can feel really discouraging. And I recognize people like Fong who are doing this work. To support us navigating it and finding the people who are finding the companies and organizations and the decisions that we want to make that are more aligned. And her website is just wealth planning. I just saw it.
0: Thank you. I was just going to be like, so I, it looks, it sounds like I need to speak to Fong Long. Yep. But also for our listeners benefit, could you briefly talk about the greenwashing and pinkwashing aspects of this? Because um, that part, I'm not sure how many people know about.
1: Yeah. So that's the premise of companies who are saying this is a gender fund. This is a portfolio of businesses that your investments are going to support that align with your values because you care about women advancing professionally or you care about the environment or you care about social justice and in practice practice, they may have for-profit prisons in there. In practice, Exxon may be one of the companies. And so that's what I was referencing about greenwashing and pinkwashing is really knowing what investment are aligned versus what is posturing for a larger market share. And I think that's true in a lot of companies. My first article published on a major platform was about Secret Deodorant, it had a commercial that was about a woman who was deciding to negotiate and she was talking, her coaching herself in the mirror. And I wrote this article that was saying, you know, this is this is pinkwashing, right? This is femvertising, whatever you want to call it, like using feminist values to sell a product. And in some ways, I would rather that than a random commercial or something that, you know, maligned. Women's ability to navigate the world. And I took real issue with some aspects of, of how she was talking about it and what encouragement she got, et cetera. I mean, the, the article's uh, you know, available on Think Progress, but this isn't a new problem or a new challenge. You know, that was 2015.
0: I don't think I wasn't able to go that far back in terms of your articles. But speaking of your articles, I don't mean to switch the topics, but the one that you wrote about strength-based leadership. Mm. I feel like that one really, really resonated with me. Because to me as a woman and as a woman of color, there are so many nuances to that, which I know, you know, quoted Marta in that and Marta did the women's caucus, the NLC women's caucus strength based leadership training, and she's certified in it. And I do a lot of strength based leadership training. And I was that annoying person on that call asking all those questions, Mm. you know, so uh, that one to me, I feel like it ties in everything of what you're talking about in the context of we have to be able to lean into our strengths and not let these sort of external trends tell us, well, this is what it you know, this is what it is when it's really not.
1: Yeah, the, the challenge of shoulding yourself, saying I should do it this way, this is how I'm supposed to do it versus aligning with your own priorities is definitely one that I see clients struggle with and frankly that I struggle with personally. When you're referencing strengths-based leadership, Marta Hansen is a Gallup strengths-based leadership coach who has collaborated with me on a variety of of Projects and the article I wrote for Forbes and then a later article for Agencia, um, which is Expedia.com's B two B company, centers that idea of strengths based leadership as a tool for professional advancement. And I can you, I can give you a specific example in my life recently, which is there's a strategy that authors can employ to become an Amazon bestseller, and it involves a lot of emailing and a lot of, sort of tweaking your model to match the system, and you give away the full for free, they give away for ninety nine cents, and it has to the Kindle version and there's all sorts of logistics that really bored me to tears. And there was this moment where I felt a responsibility to try and and maybe I should do it and then I was how out of my that is with my strengths. So if I'm super drawn toward communication and empathy and connection, spending more time on the computer trying to outsmart AI is not a good use of my time. And what I've done instead is I'm hosting in New Orleans, I'm hosting a huge launch party that's already set to be so much fun, which I'm happy to tell you all more about. And really building a relational approach to book promotion so that it's not me again trying to outsmart or fight with AI. It's inviting people I love who get what I do and want to share it and making it really easy for them and making it fun and celebrating the relationships with folks I have all over the country and all over the world even who have wanted this book to come to fruition and have been in my corner and are getting to participate in the process. And that to me is so rewarding and so refreshing and energizing. I have so much more capacity to do that and I'm much more likely to be successful. And that's the strengths-based leadership because I know how I work best.
0: You know, I'm actually trying to get Marta Hansen to have a chat with me on, you know, while I record her as well. We'll see how that goes. I Hopefully I can get her. Well, she's in Argentina at the
1: moment, but I trust she would be more than happy to participate when she's stateside. <laughs> yes.
0: And it's so funny that you talked about the AI and the Amazon and the KDP and all of that. I actually published my book May 18th of 2019. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Nobody knows about it because I was just, I went through exactly what you did, uh, what you just described in terms of figuring all of this out. And I just said, I'm just not going to do it. For me, I thought about political
1: organizing and the work that I'd done to help get Mayor. La Toya Cantrell elected, for example, here in New Orleans, first female mayor of our city. I'm a lifelong New Orleanian, fifth generation. And I feel really excited and fired up about, you know, helping her get elected and hosted these giant parties with I I think over 75, maybe over 100 people on the host committee. We had big Frida co host with me. It was amazing. And I knew my skill set. I knew how hosting a big party energizes me and how creating experiences for people that are memorable is something that I pride myself on. And so that's what motivates me to use the launch party model. And I've even, you know, for people who want to pre-order, and I guess I should say, the book is called You Got This, The Ultimate Negotiation Guide for Professional Women. And it centers on making negotiation something accessible and fun and helping women realize the ways that they're already negotiating all the time in their lives and their their strengths as, as, uh, as they negotiate. So the launch party to me is like perfectly aligned with the things that I enjoy and the mm. outcomes I'm trying to have in building community. But I don't think that's true for everyone. And so I would come back to this idea like is it a I should host a yep. launch party is, as you're thinking about it people want this
0: or is it this is something that I would enjoy and I know aligns with my strengths exactly I do want to talk about the book the launch party your inspiration so many quests so many questions about it we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back to talk about all of that and more And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with Lelia Gowland and her upcoming release, You Got This. What is the subtitle, Lelia? The
1: Ultimate Negotiation Guide for Professional Women.
0: So I knew it was about negotiation and the fact that, you know, for me, it's the fact that you wrote it and the fact that I at least peripherally know, you know, your history and where, what you do and where you're going with all of that. I feel like this is going to be so much more impactful than just negotiations for professional women. I feel like this is going to be, this book is going to be a movement on gender equity.
1: Mm, Yeah. I
0: dig it. Yes, please and thank you. No, just be just be just based on like what I know about the strength of your voice. You know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine anything you do to not be interconnected.
1: Yeah, the, one of the the ways that the business started was people coming to me most often for negotiation support. And what I realized is how inextricably linked wanting to improve your skills in negotiation is with wanting to know what your goals are and really getting clear about your own priorities before you go into the conversation. And so, I think the way that women are socialized is there's often a sense of responsibility or an instinct toward empathy and concern about the other person's well being. And that instinct can be really positive and it can prevent you from focusing on your own needs and it can anchor you to your other person, to your counterpart's priorities. So, when we think about negotiation as a key tool to improve equity, I think a piece of that is really that self awareness. That's the, the first strategy I share of 13 that centers on understanding what your priorities are and that self-reflection that you do before the negotiation.
0: Boom. (laughs) I mean that that's that's beautiful and I completely agree there is this over prevalent archetype of women being so nurturing that their own lives don't matter and it's like uh no 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 that's not how that works. Mm -hmm. And by the way I'm on the pre-sale list so I'm or the pre-order list so I'm lovely really looking forward to getting that email well the way that i've structured
1: it is and i'm finalizing it today i'm working with my accountant to ensure i'm doing everything in in the right way for back-end purposes Mm -hmm. but everyone who wants to pre-order will be invited to a virtual party pass so if you're not able to attend in real life you still get all of the benefits you're gonna live stream the remarks we'll have a mystery prize for anyone who pre-orders and which i can't tell you how many of my (laughs) friends have asked what's a mystery prize and i'm like i can't tell you it's a mystery but there are people are very curious it's really fun. Um, and access to my virtual book club. So we'll have a few sessions via Zoom where we talk about the book and get together. So all of those things are included if you pre-order before November 21st. And you can go to negotiationfun.com book.
0: I will definitely be putting that in the show notes. Uh, what I'm really curious about is how can I get to your party? Oh, come to New Orleans November 21st. <laughs> yeah, so everyone's, everyone's invited. We would love to have you.
1: Um, it's co-hosted with some amazing folks from all across South Louisiana, as well as um, my collaborator on the project, Laura Sanders, who is this amazing illustrator at uh, designer and stand-up comedians. She came into my life, she hosts a stand-up comedy, and open mic night on Mondays at my husband's bar, 12 Mile Limit. And he introduced us knowing that her skill set flawlessly complemented my vision for this book. And not only does she have the competencies, but she has the feminist values and aligns. And motivations to really bring together, create really lovely book to use some of the illustrations on my um, Instagram and Facebook. So you can check it out there. And I'll keep posting as we get closer.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I'll be putting your Instagram and Facebook uh, handles and your all of your social media that you know, you're willing to share with our listeners. I'll be they'll, they'll all be in the show so they can follow you pre order get in touch. You yeah, know. get in touch. One thing I do want to ask you is, what was sort of your ultimate purpose of writing a book on negotiation for women in the context of everything that's going on in terms of gender equity, politics, and everything in America right now?
1: Mm, There's an aspect of the current landscape that to me can feel really hopeless. And discouraging. And when I think about the systemic change we desperately need to see when it comes to equity, I also recognize that me advocating at the state legislature isn't going to change your ability to advance professionally tomorrow. It takes both. So, what delights me and, and came out of me writing this book is this desire to reclaim negotiation. And there's some really cool data about how men and women perceive negotiation differently in a gallery gender isn't binary, this is a sort of efficient term that sociologists are using when they're categorizing humans it is imperfect and we'll leave it at that so if men are asked what to pick from a list of metaphors about what negotiation means to them or what it feels like to them, they're likely to say it's winning a ball game, they're using words like exciting and fun. When women are asked to pick from the same list and ask for words they associate with negotiation, they say it's like going to the dentist Ouch! they're more likely to find it scary or stressful. Um, the frequency with which women and men perceive negotiation is also quite different. Men are more likely to say it's been within the last week, whereas women say it's been months prior. I had one woman who told me not exaggerating the last time she negotiated was with her parents for her high school allowance. Wow. So if we think about negotiation instead as something we do all the time and we're great at, right? I, it's it's discussion aimed at reaching an agreement. That's the simplest definition. Uh-huh. Is discussion aimed at reaching an agreement. And when I think about a, a client, one of my earliest clients said, wait a second, I'm great at discussion Aimed at reaching an agreement. And this definition fundamentally changed how she thought about negotiation. And that's some of the most meaningful fact I've gotten about the book is people who say, you know, this I'm reading direct quotes, this flipped my approach to negotiation, or this fundamentally changed how I think about negotiation. Because what I offer is that it's it's something we're good at and we're doing already. And when we recognize opportunities to negotiate, we can use our strengths, we can build on these 13 strategies and feel more enthusiastic and think it's fun to advocate. For ourselves and the causes we care about.
0: Absolutely. Oh my God. That just energized me so much. I mean, I couldn't wait for the pre order before, but now I really, really, really can't wait because I'm such a huge data geek and everything you're talking about, I'm just like, oh my God, I need to find this report. I need to find the study. I need to find out the details of like the data sets. And it sounds so beautiful. And Lilia, I am so thrilled you did this. And I'm going to be promoting it up the wazoo across all all of my social media channels and my networks and my writing communities and all of that, because this is something that women everywhere need to read and realize. Mm. So thank you thank you for doing it. Thank you. So we need to, you know, as we come to like wrapping this session up, this is a question I ask every single one of my guest speakers. And that is, if there were one takeaway message that you would want to leave our listeners with, if you would want them to walk away with, what would your takeaway message for this episode and our conversation be?
1: Thank you for posing the question in that way. There are two things that come to mind, one that's relatively fresh and one that's been resonant for a long time. The first is to see yourself as a negotiator and to really recognize the ways that negotiation comes up in your daily life and the successes you're already seeing. If you're figuring out who's going to take your parent to the doctor's office and you're coordinating with your sibling, if you're figuring out who's going to work the weekend because somebody has to cover the phones of that weekend, or figuring out what goes in the guacamole for table side guacamole, right? Each of these are negotiations because they're discussions aimed at reaching an agreement. And when we recognize opportunities to negotiate, we see the times that we're negotiating successfully and we recognize the opportunities where we could have done better and we can hold them more lightly. So the first is really to see yourself as a negotiator. And the second is is one that's a work in progress for me, which is to see myself as an investor. The lesson that I learned, and it's the What Will It Take movement sponsored this Women in Money conference. And one of the, and and Tutti Scott as well, I want to honor her participation as well. One of the things that was so resonant for me as well. I've spent all this time reclaiming negotiation and helping women see themselves as negotiators, I hadn't really considered how... Investing might be the next phase of this, and that, that seeing yourself as an investor and taking ownership of your finances is perhaps another phase of this empowerment and, and of this embodiment of women in leadership. And so that's both on the negotiation side, sort of the work that I'm doing very public facing mm. and, and my expertise, and then the work that I'm doing on myself is, is seeing myself as an investor.
0: All of that just resonates with me so much. Thank you, Lelia, for having this conversation with me. I would like I said at the beginning of the episode before we even started I would love to have so many more of these conversations with you all you need to do is let me know hey let's talk about this and I'll make it happen wonderful it was such a delight talking to you and I personally feel like I learned so much just in this conversation and I know my listeners are going to learn so much and gain so much perspective so much you you know different unique perspective new perspective based on everything you said so really thank you thank you thank you so much my pleasure thank you so much for having me absolutely and for all my listeners all our listeners thank you so much for tuning into this episode we will be back soon with another episode of leg upward inclusion spotlight making the invisible visible with me dr aprajita and until then i hope you really think about everything lilia gowlin has told you today in this conversation so on that note i hope you have a wonderful night and we'll see you in the next episode